You are listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, Episode 69. With Citizenship and Immigration Canada making it increasingly difficult to speak to an officer, there are a few places to turn for information that can be relied upon. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy. As he answers a wide variety of immigration questions and shares practical tips and guidance to help you along your way. Well, hello there, and welcome back to another episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Holthy, coming to you from the beautiful province of Alberta, Canada. Well, today is a special day, uh, a day following our federal election, 2019. And I thought, boy, I just have to do an episode talking about the impact that this slight shift in power uh, in Ottawa may um, create or cause uh, on the immigration programs going forward. So what effect will it have? And of course, I don't ever want to do this on my own. So I decided that I was going to reach out to my good friend, Ravi Jane and invite him to join me and uh, just have us talk about the impacts and how this new landscape of a minority liberal government, uh, you know, and if you look at the, the actual standings and how things played out, liberals 157 seats, conservatives 121, Bloc Québécois 32, New Democrats 24, Green 3, and Independent 1. And so with this minority government, it makes things interesting. You can see that uh, potentially the New Democrat Party actually have a little bit more uh, of a role to play here. If, um, you know, the Liberals are going to have to play a little bit nicer in the sandbox, but we'll see what happens, how things unfold. Well, I invited Ravi to join me, and as many of you know, uh, Ravi is from Green and Spiegel in Toronto, and he is currently serving as the chair of the National immigration section of the Canadian Bar Association, and I am serving as the vice chair uh, with him. Um, The first thing I wanted to identify to everyone is that this discussion between Ravi and I is completely in our personal capacity. So these are our own thoughts, and in no way do they uh, represent the uh, thoughts or beliefs or position of the Canadian Bar Association in any way. So I just wanted to get that out of the way so that uh, everybody can understand that this is just Ravi and I just talking about where we think things are going to go, and uh, we just had a lot of fun doing it. So without any further ado, let's jump into that call um, that I had with Ravi. Well, hello, everyone. I have the distinct privilege of inviting uh, Ravi Jane back to join me on another episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast, a special post Canada election 2019. Welcome, Ravi. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me again. Yes, it's been quite a while. We were just looking back to see when the last episode we recorded together, and it was way back December 13th, 2017. That's almost two years. It's hard to believe. (laughs) Well, I think uh, the results of of this election, Ravi, are are not, I guess, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're not surprising. I think we... Uh, most people envisioned that it was going to be a minority government. Um, yes. uh, what, what did you? What was your take on the the final result with the Liberals, um, you know, losing some seats and and uh, resulting in a minority government? 
Well, it's going to be interesting because they're going to have to work together now, and I don't think there's any real um, sign that they're prepared to do that. Uh, you know, even the uh, election speeches were all, you know, released at the exact same time. So even that wasn't, you know, there was no coordination even with respect to that. So that doesn't sort of board well, given that, you know, traditionally, you know, one person will will, will give a speech and then the other, then the other. So, um, but we'll see. I mean, uh, they'll have to be, you know, a new um, reality, uh, and we can we can talk about. Um, you know the different uh, the different issues. Um, like for instance, you know if the NDP is holding the balance of power, they may be putting pressure on the Liberals to have more parents and grandparents, right? Yes. Uh, the NDP was talking about basically not having any limit on the numbers of parents and grandparents coming in, and they were also talking about wanting the processing to go more quickly. But yeah. we know, uh, because of what we do, that there's a demand of about 100,000 people um, who want to come in as parents and grandparents. But, you know, um, there have been caps of 5,000, 15,000, 20,000, but really not going above that. And, you know, to have the liberals who are, you know, who are slowly creeping up in terms of the numbers of parents and grandparents, um, but certainly not going anywhere near 100,000, then having the NDP saying this is what we think is a good idea. Uh, I guess the question would be, will the Liberals, you know, want to move in that direction? I think in some ways they may feel some some political capital can be gained by that because it's very popular in a lot of the ethnic communities. But on the other hand, you kind of, you know, want them to be stewards of Canada and you want them to, to do what's in the best interest of the country. And and they've already come out with a levels plan, um, which was unusual. They did a multi-year levels plan, as you know. And, you know, there's not really a lot of room that they intend to grow that. So will there be pressure from the NDP in that way? And if so, what would that look like? Because the NDP proposal, to me, never really made a lot of sense. I mean, you can't just invite 100,000 parents and grandparents that are then going to put a lot of pressure, potentially, on our healthcare systems provincially because that would potentially represent a third of all immigrants coming into Canada, um, which would be a dramatic increase. So I don't think we're going to actually see that. But, uh, you know, when it comes to immigration, uh, that's one thing the NDP was really gung-ho about and the Liberals, you know, um, you know, were not as keen on. Absolutely. And you can, you know, you can see the, the effects even today as we, you know, as you travel, you know, there's more and more parents and grandparents that you know that that have family, children here in Canada, and are anxious to visit. And our 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 uh, super visa program is is very very popular, mm-hmm. and uh, so it's it's hard to imagine what the world would look like if they opened up that uh, that program to well, allow in course, those volumes. That's right. And of course, sorry to interrupt you, but the, yeah, the Conservatives, you know, brought in the super visa program, and I actually think it was a very good idea because it met the needs of people who you know were parents maybe they didn't want to really live here maybe they didn't want the winters you know but they were able to come in for up to two years at a time and you know we recently got confirmation that you know even on subsequent visits they can get up to a maximum of two years every time they're coming in but of course they have to pay privately for their medical insurance so i think that's a good way to sort of reunite families without necessarily putting a lot of pressure on the healthcare system because of course you know people who are Canadian 
and have Canadian parents and grandparents, they want their parents to be able to access the healthcare system too. So, you know, but of course, you know, no one's arguing the extreme position that Maxine Bernier took, and we saw where that landed. Yeah, yeah. Not necessarily in terms of on this narrow issue, but I'm just saying he took some rather extreme positions, and one of them was no parents and grandparents at all. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, we all know in our practices that, you know, there are, there are some compelling cases sometimes. Uh, and sometimes it is good for the country because maybe that parent and grandparent, you know, maybe they're going to, um, you know, help raise the kids and, and both parents are then going to work and, and contribute taxes. So there are some, you know, I'm not saying it's always necessarily a bad thing economically, uh, but I do think that overall, I mean, we do have to recognize we already have an aging population and um, there already are going to be some demands on our healthcare system. So we just want a government that's going to be somewhat balanced about it. So I think whereas Maxine Bernier was taking us too far in one direction, the NDP may be wanting to take us too far in the other direction. So um, we'll have to see how the liberals uh, fight that off. Yeah. And with the NDP potentially holding a little bit more of the balance of power, you know, we can shift over to the, the whole safe third country agreement and you know i think most of the parties um want to either do away with it or or at least alter it in some fashion to stem the tide and um that's definitely one of the the platforms that the ndp had uh, had identified way back in march and uh their you know their position is to suspend it and uh, well, yeah i don't think they're going to get anywhere that way because you know the the liberals you know are going to want to try to work with the Trump administration as best as they can. And to sort of suspend the safe third country agreement, you're basically saying that, you know, um, the U.S. is not a safe place to go to. So now there may be some some good reasons to argue that. I mean, you know, the attorney general had come out and said that victims of domestic violence and gang violence weren't really, you know, weren't really genuine refugees and weren't going to be recognized as refugees in the United States. You know, and that's because, by the way, of course, you know, the 1951 Refugee Convention is, is enacted domestically. Um, so each country, although, you know, nations sign on to it, uh, each country is able to interpret the convention definition differently. And so the U.S. Can, t- can take a more narrow definition that can lead to returning people, you know, to persecution and harm, right? Yes. Um, and so I think that's what the NDB is really sort of that's what's resonating with them and they're saying look we don't think that the u.s is very safe uh and i can understand that argument i really can but i also understand that a government you know a sitting government has to work with you know uh you know the united states and 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 they are an ally and you got to be careful about saying uh, you know offending them in a way that you know could make it difficult to work with them on a whole host of very you know of issues so, you know, and I think that the liberal government has basically been saying that they think that, you know, the U.S. is relatively safe. And that's been a kind of an awkward line they've been having to sort of, um, you know, um, a road they've had to kind of travel down because it's, you know, on the one hand, they are liberals and they do have concerns. Uh, and so their solution uh, has been to, you know, initiate a, a more enhanced pre-removal risk assessment. So if someone, you know, is going to um, not meet the definition of a refugee, but but may, may have some some harm that they are going to encounter, then they, they've implemented a more 
slightly more robust system um, as opposed to just the paper application where their approval rate was about two or three percent. Uh, so that's that's where they've tried to get a little bit more liberal, but then they've gotten more conservative by basically <laughs> saying that if you're from, you know, a member of the five I countries like, you know, Australia, New Zealand, UK, um, United States, um, then, you know, we're going to just say that if you've made a claim there, then you have to, to go back to those countries. So they're all going to be deemed safe. So they've actually expanded um, the safe third country agreement in a way by, you know, um, expanding it to these other countries. Yes. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So we have, uh, we've got a few of these policies that they've talked about. Obviously, it's one thing to talk about them and, and make them a part of your platform an entirely mm-hmm. other issue to see them come to fruition or follow through on those promises like like every every party mm-hmm. um, one of the things that I found interesting was those who are now out as in terms of MPs and those that are still in mm-hmm. so why don't we start with um, one that is out and so uh, Minister Goodale yeah that's a big one so that's what are your thoughts one. on on that uh, relatively surprising development yeah, I mean, it's going to be tricky because, you know, they want to have people in cabinet who are from the various provinces, particularly the populous provinces, you know, Alberta and Saskatchewan, they have no one. So, I mean, that's going to be a challenge. Uh, there was talk about maybe, um, you know, appointing someone from the Senate to cabinet, but then they have to face re-election. Uh, they have to face election as an MP is my understanding. So I think it's going to be challenging to see how that unfolds. Um, you know, of course, uh, the minister regained uh, his seat mm-hmm, so he did. for the immigration department. So uh, we'll see if they want to give him another round or if they're going to appoint someone else. So that'll be very interesting. Uh, of course, we've had a, a number of dealings with, um, you know, with him in his office. And, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see if, if someone would have taken a slightly different approach. Of course, um, you know, we can't talk about, you know, yes. this result without talking about consultants. So yeah. um, I don't know if you wanted to, to sort of go yeah. in that direction. No, absolutely. Yeah, okay. yeah cause that's so, a significant, you know, that's a significant um, uh, area that's going to be, um, you know, impacted by the election. And so now that we've well, got a right. feel for, for where things are going, um, the original intention and plans are probably going to follow through. Well, and that's what's very interesting because, I mean, there's two things that I, I guess two points I want to make. One point is about the NDP. You know, the NDP's platform talked about cracking down on consultants, um, so that didn't seem to be a, a ringing endorsement of, of the liberal plan, which has been to, frankly, under their watch, they, the the number of consultants have really dramatically increased. Uh, you know, there were only about 1,600 under the previous iteration, or CSIC, uh, the, the first regulatory body. Under the current regulatory body, there's 6,000, uh, almost 6,000. So that's a huge, huge increase. And, you know, I've said publicly that um, my, I have concerns because I've been told by, by you know, very prominent um, liberals that they're, they are concerned about certain ridings and they're concerned about, you know, the, the impact of consultants um, and the way that they influence election campaigns. So, so that always upsets me, you know, when um, parties are focused on their re-election 
at the expense of what's in the interest of the Canadian public. And and to the extent that that happened, it's very worrisome. Uh, you know, of course, they will say that um, that really had no impact on their decision making. Um, uh, but you know, I, I, I do have some concerns there because I think as their numbers have grown, you know, uh, they are. You know, my concern is that it's going to be harder to rein them in, and um, I do think that they are very adept at lobbying, and they they have KPIC, which is their you know their their group which lobbies and um, for their interests and it's very different from the CBA. I mean the Canadian Bar Association, you know, I'm the chair or the vice chair right now, and you know you know that our work is mainly on legal submissions and organizing our conference, etc. It's not so much on lobbying per se. Yes. So so that's a concern. I mean, ironically, I found you know it was interesting. The second point I wanted to make was just around you know even if if they were thinking that you know supporting consultants would help them with re-election. I mean, I just found it completely ironic that out west, there were some reports in Vancouver and the lower mainland that, you know, they were disgusted because the people living there were disgusted with how prevalent the consultants were and how much harm in terms of the fraud and negligence um, was occurring. And they were so upset about it, they were going to turf uh, the Liberal MPs in those ridings. And we did see that uh, in some of those writings um, that the NDP, who were talking about cracking down on consultants, won election. So I hope that um, they do, you know, um, take this message seriously. And I think we'll be reminding them of this. Uh, if you thought that there was some political gain here, I mean, just be weary because, you know, the stories coming out in the press are just so dramatic in terms of the harm. You know, uh, after the Humboldt tragedy, then we see, you know, that the consultants have really been impacting the trucking industry and putting, a, you know, Canadians at risk on the roads. I mean, that's, you know, in terms of the fraud there. Uh, and, um, you know, we, we've seen it in many different industries. So so I have major concerns there. And I, But, I mean, obviously we're proceeding now with the college, uh, which is the third attempt to... Um, you know, uh, have self-regulation, even though the last two attempts were utter failures, and those failures were even recognized by the consultants themselves uh, in terms of governance failures, in terms of discipline failures, uh, in terms of competence failures. So, you know, why they would give them a third kick at the can, I don't know. But, um, you know, of course, we speculate. But um, this is where, this is the direction we're heading in. And there'll be a review. Uh, there'll be an annual parliamentary review in terms of how the college is doing. But there'll also be, I'm sure, a review at this parliamentary standing committee on immigration. And um, you know, then we'll we'll be able to take a, a hard look and see if the college has been effective. And um, you know, I I, I worry that um, the discipline uh, is. Um, you know, now that they have to be more transparent about their discipline, largely because of the efforts of the CBA, um, you know, I think that we're going to be able to point to just a whole lot of societal harm. And so we'll have to see if they're willing to be brave and to reverse course um, in a few years. Uh, or it could be that the government will fall in a few years. And it could be we'll be dealing with a new government. And it could be that we'll be able to, um, to take a look at what's been going on mm-hmm. at that time. Yeah. No, yeah, we we maybe it's four years, maybe it's less. You just you just don't know how the uh, how the parties are 
prepared to play in the sandbox. So this will right. be interesting to see how it evolves without a doubt. So we have covered uh, the parental programs. We've talked a little bit about the um, the refugee side of things. Let's talk a little bit about economics and the economic sure. programs. And uh, uh, one of the questions I do a lot of express entry work um, with individuals all over the world. And um, one of the questions that I got more than any leading up to this election was the impact that this might have on levels planning with, um, you know, if, if, you know, depending on which party ca uh, came into power, how that would impact on express entry and whether uh, the numbers, um, you know, the comprehensive ranking system scores would go up or whether they would, you know, some people <laughs> were really fear mongering that, you know, which obviously was, was just a lack of understanding of how it works. But uh, this thought that if, you know, certain parties got into power, that then there would be, uh, significant reduction, like obviously the rhetoric that was out there uh, to to the numbers themselves. So, what do you think? This is you know the fact that we now have a, a minority mm -hmm. liberal government. How do you think that's going to impact on you know when it comes to the economic side the levels planning and and you know we'll start specifically with the permanent programs. Well, I mean, I think again the NDP we're talking about they mostly focus on the family class. Um, so, I mean, of course. I mean, the Greens were talking about getting rid of the temporary foreign worker program altogether, which is kind of a, a whole nother thing. And then, you know, the Maxine Bernier was talking about dr dramatically dropping levels, yeah. um, you know, to 150,000. Yeah, 150. So, I mean, which was ironic to me because, you know, on the one hand, he was saying he wants to increase economic immigration, but economic immigration was already above 150. So, you know, he says he wants to reduce the numbers, but increase economic immigration. I mean, he wasn't, the, like, it just his math didn't square. Yeah. Um, you know, in terms of the Greens, yeah, I mean, like I say, they want to kill the temporary foreign worker program, which actually does lead into a lot of the permanent residence immigration through the Canada Experience Class and Express Entry. So, um, but she was talking about just bringing in temp more permanent residents instead, um, you know, which didn't make a lot of sense to me because sometimes, you know, employers legitimately have a need for just a temporary purpose, right? And, and the foreign workers themselves don't want to stay. So, but going back to the NDP, I mean, they, they were more focused on family class immigration. So I didn't hear them talk a lot about, you know, numbers in terms of the economic class, um, you know, but presumably they're in favor of relatively high immigration. Um, you know, the conservatives, interestingly enough, when Andrew Scheer was pressed and said, listen, you know, what do you think about the levels plan that the liberals have? I mean, because up to that point, he was just saying, well, whatever is in the interest of the country. Uh, and when he was pressed, he actually said he didn't think that the liberals, you know, the liberal plan in terms of overall levels planning was was uh, was off. Yeah, he thought, yeah. you know, so that was very interesting to me. So that just shows to show that the two main contenders were both in favor of relatively high immigration. I think that they recognize that, you know, the Conference Board of Canada said that more people are leaving the workforce and entering it. Yes. Uh, the Organization of Economic uh, Cooperation and Development has talked about how Canada is the world leader when it comes to integrating economic category immigrants. So, you know, these are things that are really objective. And I think that the Conservatives and the Liberals are both sort of acknowledging that by saying that Canada needs it with our low, you know, birth rate and aging population. So I think overall I'm pleased about that. Um, and I think that, you know, my own view is that, you know, the, the, the older express entry gets, like as we get into seven, eight, you know, nine years of express entry going forward, 
I mean, the older the program gets, the, the larger the pool becomes, which puts downward pressure on the points. But because of the, you know, the levels plan allowing for more and more economic immigration with the liberals now winning, uh, you know, I don't see the NDP having a problem with, with, with the levels plan, as I said. So I think that would put some downward pressure um, you know, uh, on, the, on the, I don't know if I said the, the opposite just then, but, but in other words, so the, the downward pressure would be with the levels plan. So that will, the more immigrants we bring in, the more that pushes the express entry number down. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, the more people in the pool, the more it pushes the number up. Yeah. So um, now will they cancel themselves out or, or will, uh, you know, or will the levels plan have more of an impact? I, I tend to think that the levels plan might have more of an impact. I just don't think that there are too many people around the world, you know, going for express entry because really, it really privileges those who are here. Yes. So, you know, now having said that, mm -hmm. the other thing that's going to put pressures on it are the students, right? Yeah, and because I was just going to students. You're yeah. just going to go there. I know. Yeah, I was just going to lead into that one. Mm -hmm. So that's a problem. I mean, I think that you know, it's a it's a multi billion dollar industry. And, you know, the educations, uh, educational institutions love it. The provinces love it because, you know, uh, they don't have to then, um, you know, take money out of, um, out of their coffers to, to support the community colleges and universities as much because the foreign students are doing it. So the provinces love it. Um, the, the institutions love it. Uh, obviously, the, the students love it. And, um, you know, they're pivoting more to Canada anyway as the states gets more nativist. Uh, but the question really becomes, is it is it in the interests of Canada? And at the end of the day, you know, we're not going to be able to transition them all to permanent residence and there's going to be great frustration there. So I think that, um, you know, we have to we have to rein it in somewhat. And we're seeing them stories of students, some of them displacing Canadian, you know, kids who are trying to get jobs, temporary jobs. We've seen that out west. Uh, we've seen stories of, of um, you know, students coming in and really just driving truck all day long, driving trucks. So I think that's a concern and there's a safety issue again for that. So so I think that, um, you know, hopefully the government can be a bit more responsible in this area. And frankly, it's the consultants that are bringing most of them in. And I worry about what kind of advice um, they're giving these students and if they're helping them navigate the system in a way that may not be ethical. No, all of those points are valid. And as I watch the, the scores go up, you know, you talked about the pressures that are leading to, to those, uh, you know, the scores rising and falling. And without a doubt, when you have, what are we? I think we're over 600, are we now, for international students now in Canada? And obviously, as they get their extra points for completing their studies and then post-grad work permits, we're just now starting to see the effects as they work through the system. You know, uh, 2015, January, that's when Express Entry came about. And then they had some little tweaks, um, you know, to the uh, to the criteria. But once they opened it up and, uh, you know, allowing more points for completing studies in Canada and, and obviously the heavy emphasis on Canadian work experience, we're now mm -hmm. seeing 460. Like, it, you know, that's, that's the new, you know, the new threshold. And I get people asking me all the time, you know, do you, do you think it's going to go down? Will it will it drop down to two fifty five, uh, four fifty five, and and these these little incremental shifts? Like when you know every every periodically they will, 
you know, they will have a little bit of a larger draw, but I really don't see it going down. When you have all of these international students, and yes, not all want to stay here, but a lot do. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, they already have the advantage of age, which, you know, uh, plays in with, with all international students getting maximum age points. And then they get a little bit of work experience. And, uh, and that's, that's the reality is that's what's pushing a lot of our, the, uh, the rounds of invitations, um, pushing those numbers up. Well, not all of them uh, speak English, as we've, as we've learned. <laughs> Apparently <laughs> you know, not. Because, again, the consultants have been bringing them in, and, you know, and there's been some forgeries, and, and uh, the colleges themselves have said, wait a minute, like, you know, you, you, you claim that you you got admission on the base of your, your English testing and was supposed to be fairly strong, and you can't even function in the classroom. So, you know, so that's a concern. But, yeah, I mean, since 2014, just for context, um, since 2014, there's been a 73% increase in the number of international students. So yeah. this, this government has made a very deliberate decision to dramatically increase them. And I, I do worry that, you know, it's just going to it's going to create some frustration. You know, um, students are used to, you know, feeling that, look, we played by the rules. We paid all this money, international tuition. Um, you know, we've worked hard. You know, we have good you know, um, decent scores on our, on our English language or French language. And, you know, all of the people before us have been managing the transition to permanent residence. And now all of a sudden we can't. So they are going to be, you know, there's, there's going to be a tremendous amount of frustration. I think that everyone is setting them up to fail. Um, and I, I just have real concerns about that because I don't think it's fair for, you know, the minister of immigration to say, listen, there's no promise and, you know, um, the expectation is you'll go back and many of them want to go back. I just don't think that's that's an honest interpretation of what's going on. I think these students are coming here and I think that they want to stay and I think they're going to be tremendously frustrated. So I just worry that we're using them too much and, um, you know, there are too many interests involved once again, consultants, the educational institution, the provinces, um, you know, so... So yeah, let's see. I think that's that's one to watch, uh, and I think it's going to be very interesting. Absolutely, for me, that whole issue um, to a large extent re- revolves around these private colleges, and uh, I can never wrap my mind around why a school would be designated as uh, one of the accepted learning institutions, and at the same time not be uh, good enough to uh, to be awarded the um, the ability. F- to grant post-grad work permits to the students who then complete those studies. I, I, I can never, you know, there's a number of, of institutions, private colleges that are D- DLI schools, but do not have the ability to, you know, um, you know, for their students to go on and get post-grad work permits. And it just, yeah, it's an interesting, um, an interesting world for sure. But, uh, but yeah, so these are some interesting, uh, you know, some interesting things to think about. I guess the last one maybe that we'll finish with is, you know, we, like I we talked briefly about, uh, Minister Hoosen and, um, and what the future may hold. And, uh, we haven't talked a lot about, uh, you know, the, uh, the conservatives and, uh, you know, Michelle Rempel has been uh, strong, you know, um, check, I guess, to, to the, the immigration, um, uh, the, the immigration, um, department. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on just how the conservatives will, uh, will, you know, participate or be a part of the future of immigration, uh, now that they have not been able to, um, 
uh, to, to, to win the election? Well, I think that they, they, they nevertheless have increased their seats, right? I mean, there's, there's a lot more of them now. So I think that they'll have some strength in Parliament to be able to, um, you know, to be able to hold the government uh, to task, right? So I think that they're, they'll continue to be a strong voice. Of course, you know, we heard Andrew Shearer last night say that, you know, he thinks that um, they're basically the government in waiting, right? And that the, the Liberal government's on notice. So now whether that's true, who knows? Whether he survives um, as leader, who knows? But I think that, um, you know, they're, they're not necessarily a bad thing to, to have a minority situation if that's where, you know, the electorate is. And, and clearly there are, you know, entire regions of the country that didn't vote liberal at all, as I mentioned, in terms of Saskatchewan and Alberta. Uh, so, you know, there, there's a voice there. And the, and the prime minister said that he's going to be the prime minister once again for all Canadians. So... I hope that he will listen to some of the legitimate uh, criticisms and concerns, um, you know, uh, of the conservatives. I mean, like I said, though, I mean, there, there's not a lot of difference between the, t the parties on levels planning. Uh, there was a fair bit of difference uh, when it comes to the safe third country agreement. But again, you know, like I think Andrew Shear was saying, he'd just renegotiate. Well, I think the liberals actually, even before they publicly announced it, we were all, you know, talking about how they probably were. Mm -hmm. um, negotiating with the Americans, and then they came out and said it, and it was no shock to us, right? Because yeah. they were getting hammered, you know, um, in the press on their approach because of Justin's infamous tweet, uh, about welcome to Canada for refugees, right? So, so I think that there's, you know, again, like on certain issues, there may be, there may seem to be more of a difference between the parties than there actually is. Uh, I don't know that, you know, the, the Liberals have continued with the supervisor, they've continued with the cap on parents and grandparents, so those are conservative initiatives. So, you know, I mean, they're, they've continued with express entry, which again was a conservative initiative. So I don't think that there's necessarily a ton of difference in some of those issues, uh, but in terms of, again, on consultants, uh, I think uh, the Conservatives were talking about cracking down. So. Um, you know, that uh, hopefully they'll continue to be a check on the Liberals in that way. Perfect. Well, thanks so much, Ravi. This is this is great. Obviously, it's it's fun to kind of uh, prognosticate and to, uh, to 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 throw our, our thoughts into the mix in terms of what the future may hold. No one really knows, but uh, it'll be fun. This this journey that we're facing here over the potentially the next four years. So, so thanks so much for, for joining me and uh, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have to do this again soon. Sounds good. Thanks so much for inviting me, Mark. You have a good day. It. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that was another great little interview with Ravi Jain. I sure appreciate him taking the time to join me. We had an opportunity to talk about a lot of different things, the impact of the uh, elections and um, this shift in power on a variety of different immigration programs, everything from the family class to refugees to obviously the consultant issue that we've had a lot of involvement with over the last little while, and uh, even our economic programs. So 
we'll see if uh, Minister Hussein remains as the minister, um, obviously with uh, Ralph Goodale um, not winning in his riding. We'll see how that all plays out with the landscape in our fine country here. But uh, but yeah, it's um, I think we're going to see a lot of this, a lot of status quo, but there could be some changes depending upon, um, you know, how well the parties play in the sandbox. All right. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to this special election 2019 edition of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. As always, you can listen on iTunes. Go over there, subscribe, and uh, and leave a comment, leave a review. Um, those really help to get the message out to the masses and um, help people to know that this podcast this podcast is alive and well. I've got a really really fun lineup of new episodes that are going to be released here shortly. Um, I've invited a number of different groups that that provide uh, just some really neat services um, within the immigration world um, to to talk about uh, about what they do, um, how they serve and help uh, new immigrants, and just some really cool programs. I'm also hoping to get some other organizations. Uh, well, I've just got a great lineup of things coming up and I'm really excited about it as well as some awesome practitioners that are going to come and talk about a number of different areas of immigration. So without uh, any further ado, we'll wrap this one up. I want to once again, thank Ravi for joining me. It was great for him to take some time immediately after the election. We just dropped everything to do this. And uh, I, uh, yeah, if you guys have an idea for a topic that you'd like to cover, by all means, connect with me. I would love to have you join me. This here is the end of this episode. So I wish you guys all the best as you navigate this crazy world that we call Canadian immigration. Take care. Oh, Canada, greatest country in the of your soil This place I Yeah.